Hi everyone, David Harris here with you for Criminal Injustice with a news bonus. Changes to investigation and prosecution of police killings. Are these changes enough? During the week of February 22nd, a grand jury in New York State overseen by the state attorney general, Letitia James, came back after investigating the death of Daniel Prude. Now, that, that name may be familiar to you. This was a man in Rochester, New York. He was in a mental health crisis. His family called the police. They arrived. They found him naked in the street. And in the process of trying to do something about this situation, they put a hood over his head. He was pinned to the ground, and he died. This caused a huge uprising in Rochester, not at first, but when the video that the police department had in its possession for months was finally forced out into the open. Now, that's a whole subject in itself, but I want to focus here on something else. Attorney General James uh, said she was very disappointed that the grand jury would not indict any of the officers who had anything to do with Daniel Prude's death. They did not indict. There will be no charges. And the attorney general really expressed deep, deep disappointment. But this brought something to mind here. Uh, listeners to our program uh, are no stranger to the idea that one of the big problems in investigating police conduct on the criminal level has been that often those investigations are conducted by local prosecutors. And local prosecutors, as we know, work with local police. Right? So the fact that the same people who are working together, one has to investigate the other, one institution, one agency has to investigate the other when they depend on each other seems to tilt the playing field. And the thinking has always been this is part of what is behind these investigations being done poorly, sometimes not at all, very few charges brought and very few convictions of police officers had. And so over the last six years, really since Ferguson, Missouri, and that grand jury prosecutorial investigation of the death of Michael Brown, um, really since then there has been a push to have these investigations done independently, to have them done by someone other than the local prosecuting agency that generally works with the same police department that had a hand in whatever it is went wrong, resulting in a death or a serious injury. And one of the states that took some action on this was New York State. And this was done through an executive order by Governor Andrew Cuomo in 2015, in which he ordered that all investigations of police killings be investigated not by local prosecutors, but by the attorney general's office. So this would create at least some distance in that relationship. You would not have the local county prosecutor investigating members of the local 
police department that worked with that prosecutor day in, day out to bring cases. And it was thought that this could make a difference. I think it does probably make a difference, certainly in appearance. You don't have the same people investigating essentially each other. You eliminate the conflict of interest. But the results in the Daniel Prude case prompted one media organization, at least the New York Times, to do a dive into what has happened since the executive order in 2015 by Governor Cuomo that shifted these investigations and prosecutions to the state level. Has it made a difference? In an article on February 27, the answer, in a word, is no. It hasn't made much difference. There are still a number of investigations pending and so forth, but of the 43 cases that have been brought since then to investigators, brought to investigators, brought to the attorney general's office, brought to grand juries, since Cuomo's order in 2015, it doesn't look much different. The numbers look depressingly similar. Like I said, there's still 10 unresolved among those 43 from that time. Um, but, you know, there have been indictments, but it really isn't changing a heck of a lot. And this, I think, is what is behind Attorney General Letitia James' expression of disappointment. She wanted a different result, she said, and was very disappointed that there wasn't one. Now, one can question whether the prosecuting officer should be expressing herself in exactly that way. But I think I know where that comes from. So this isn't about her. This is about the fact that something else is still at work. And that something else is the law. The law is part of the fundamentals of these situations. It probably does help on the margins. We will see over time, not just a few years and not just in one state, whether shifting prosecutorial and investigative authority makes any difference at all. But the law remains the same. And when I say the law, I mean the law on what constitutes excessive force. This is still governed in almost every state by the 1980s case of Graham versus Connor, which measures whether or not force used by police is excessive based on the objectively reasonable officer standard. And we've talked about this here before. You probably remember this means we don't have to even consider whether this officer was, was reasonable. Would an objectively reasonable officer have behaved this way? And the Supreme Court told us in that 1980s case, uh, we are not to second guess the police. This is a fast moving split second decision that has to be made in, 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 in the face of great danger and so on and so on. The law favors the police in this situation. There's just no doubt about that fact. It is built to favor them. Now, you may think that that is perfectly appropriate, that police are in a difficult job, difficult situation, need the law. The law should favor them. Maybe you think the opposite, that the law goes too far in favoring them, that it is up for recalibration at least, or should be up for recalibration. 
Whichever way you lean on this personally, I don't think it's remotely controversial to say the law favors the police. And that is what keeps these cases from coming out differently. And when they go to trial, they haven't started to come out differently just because the attorney general's office is the prosecutor. Until that changes, along with who is investigating these cases, I don't think we're going to see a shift. Now, some jurisdictions have begun to change their use of force law. California did that in 2019 when it changed its use of force law. The District of Columbia did it in 2020 in the wake of the killing of George Floyd. Shifted its use of force law in a very significant way based upon the work of my friend and colleague Cynthia Lee, who was a guest here on Criminal Injustice, to talk about her work and to talk about what that statute will cause juries and courts to have to consider differently. It's these changes that I think will make a huge difference in the law going forward. And without them, I just don't think we're going to get any real response that will move the needle. That's it. That's my take on it. You can get my take pretty much anytime. If you want to go to our website, that's criminalinjusticepodcast.com. You'll hear all of our news bonuses there, all of our other features, and you can get access to our long-form interviews with some of the most impactful people studying, working in, advocating in the criminal legal system. Go to criminalinjusticepodcast.com for all of that. We are member-supported. We really appreciate your support. Go to patreon.com slash criminalinjustice. Thanks, and I'm David Harris, and I'll be back next time.